Amen. I'd like to read one more scripture passage. It's from the book of Matthew, chapter 27, verses 45 through 50. It says this. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So as we look at this statement that Jesus makes here, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the fourth, the fourth utterance of Jesus on the cross. There are, um, there are seven of those. The, fu- the first one is, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The second one is, this day you will be with me in paradise. The third is, woman, behold your son. The fourth is the one that we're looking at. The fifth, I thirst. The sixth, it is finished. And the seventh, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Well, the question that I'd like to ask you tonight is, um, what are the saddest words ever uttered? What are the saddest words ever uttered? Maybe when you think about your own life, you think about goodbyes. Maybe somebody you love went away for a, a, a while and you miss them and you had to say goodbye to them. Or maybe it was somebody that you loved who passed away and that was a hard goodbye for you. Or maybe some of you uh, love, love history and literature and you think about the saddest words. Maybe your mind goes back to Julius Caesar and, and Brutus. A2 Brute? Well, I think we have some of the saddest words ever uttered in this text that we're looking at today. It's hard to really understand all that took place on the cross, the uh, intensity of it, if we don't really understand the nature of the relationship within the Trinity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. With God, there is no beginning, God has always existed. And for all eternity, in that existence, he lived in perfect harmony, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a fullness of love within the Trinity. God didn't need anyone. In fact, when uh, the the world was created, the cosmos was created, some people think that God did that because he was lonely. No, God absolutely was not lonely. God had perfect fellowship within the Trinity. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the heir of all things. It tells us that in the book of Hebrews, which means that the the cosmos, everything that we see, the universe, every person, every flower, every animal, was created as a gift from the Father to the Son. Everything that you see is an expression of the love of the Trinity. We think about that beautiful love that Jesus had with his father, when at the age of 12, remember, 
When his family went to Jerusalem, he preferred to be in his father's house over and above with his parents, Mary and Joseph. Or think about um, how it says in Luke chapter 2 that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. There was this sweet love that is there within that beautiful Trinitarian fellowship for all eternity. Remember when Jesus was baptized, the Father said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then, and then we think about when Jesus had crowds and crowds of people following him around. Everybody wanted Jesus' attention. And what would Jesus do? He would get away so that he could spend time in prayer with his Father. We even think about Jesus in that time of despair when he was in the garden once again, wrestling over all that was going to come. He knew what was going to come. And he cried out, My Father... If it would be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We see this beautiful expression of incredible love within the Trinity. Well, you know what happened that night when Jesus was in Gethsemane. He was arrested. And then he was taken to the, the palace of the high priest And he had three religious trials. First, he was tried by Annas, the former high priest. And then he was tried by Caiaphas, the present high priest. And finally, early in the morning, he was tried by the Sanhedrin and he was condemned. And all night long, he was being beaten and mistreated and screamed at. And then at around uh, 6 a.m., they take him for the first of three Civil trials. Jesus actually had six trials. Three religious, three civil. The first one was with Pilate. Pilate found nothing wrong with Jesus. He sent him off to Herod. Herod found nothing wrong with Jesus. Herod sent Jesus back to Pilate. Pilate still found nothing wrong with Jesus, but he had Jesus beaten up to an inch of his own death. And he sentenced him to be crucified. Just to give you an idea of what this flogging that Jesus took was like. Uh, One scholar puts it this way. For victims who, like Jesus, were neither Roman citizens nor soldiers, the favorite instrument was a whip whose leather thongs were fitted with pieces of bone or lead or other metal. The beatings were so savage that the victims sometimes died. Eyewitness Records report that such brutal scourgings could leave the victims with their bones and their entrails exposed. Jesus endures three hours of beatings and trials, civil trials. And then then at 9 a.m., he was nailed to a cross and hung there with unbelievable agony. We notice uh, in another place, another resource describes what it's like. After the beating, the victim was forced to bear the crossbeam to the execution site to signify his life was already over, to humiliate him before those who watched, and to be a warning to the onlookers. 
Jesus was nailed to the crossbeam. The nail would be driven through the wrist at the cluster of the nerves feeding the hand rather than to the palm since the smaller bones of the hand could not support the weight of the body. The beam with the body was then lifted and tied to the upright pole that was already planted in the ground. Pins or a small wooden block were sometimes placed halfway up to provide a seat for the body lest the nails tear open the wounds or the ropes pull the victim's arms from the sockets. At other times, no such seat was provided and the victim suffered not only dislocated shoulders but an inability to breathe as his body sagged down on his hands and constricted his chest. The feet were tied or nailed to the post. Death usually occurred due to the loss of blood circulation or suffocation and heart failure. That's from something called Manners and Customs of the Bible. We notice there what Jesus went through and then at noon... At noon, darkness fell over the land. Now from the sixth hour, and that would have been noon, starting at six in the morning, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, what's the significance of the darkness? Well, the darkness signified Judgment. There was judgment. And the judgment that occurred, which is hard to imagine considering the eternity of unbroken fellowship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the judgment was upon Jesus. The Father was now judging the the Son for your sin and my sin. The Father literally crushed his son by punishing him for our sin without mercy. Just as John read earlier, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And so then we see Jesus cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever had someone that you loved abandon you? Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a child. Maybe it was a close friend, but the wounds of that abandonment is something that you just could never move beyond. I think that there are very few experiences that we can have that are more painful than feeling abandoned. And that's exactly how Jesus felt in these moments. Of course, Jesus understood why all of these things were happening. He asked the question, he knows why. Of course, uh, this, is, this is what he was born for. But in the moment when he experienced that, that, that brokenness of fellowship, he cried out in despair what made it what it made it even more frustrating was that the people around him had had no idea what what was going on in fact we read in some of the bystanders hearing it said this man is calling elijah and one of them at once ran and took a sponge filled it with sour wine put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink but the other said wait let's see whether elijah will come and save him and of course where you have eli eli 
you have those words, and it's from Psalm 22. They were thinking Jesus was calling Elijah, his mouth probably so full of blood, his tongue probably swollen with thirst. They could not hear, they could not make out what he was saying, and so they thought that he was calling Elijah. Well, why? What's, what's the, why would they think that? Well, because many of you know the story of Elijah. Elijah didn't die, he was taken up to heaven. And um, many people at that time believed that, that when Elijah died, was taken up to heaven, that God had had him running errands <laughs> throughout all this, this period of time after he'd been taken up to heaven and this point. And, and one of the errands that, that people of the day thought that, that Elijah ran around doing was helping rabbis. And so, so these people were there, they were wondering, they were waiting, they were, they were hoping to see something you know, some kind of spectacular thing come down in no way relating to Jesus and what he's going through and his pain and his sorrow and suffering. They had this, they had this crazy notion in their mind about what, what Elijah was, was doing and they paid no real attention to Jesus. How frustrating it is to lose your ability to speak and no one knows what you're saying. And then... The father turns his face away from Jesus and he just cries, cries into a world that nobody can understand him. And the one person that he wants to hear him, he feels as if has abandoned him. And then we read in verse 50 that Jesus gave up his spirit. And it's amazing that we see that he was just as in control of his death as he was his life. And so what are the saddest words? They're found here. My God, why? My God, why? Maybe, maybe you've asked those questions of the Lord. Maybe you've gone through times of struggle in your life and you just can't understand it. You say, my God, why? Do you know that you have a Savior who sympathizes with you? Do you know that you have a Savior who has gone to depths that are far greater than anything we could ever experience or imagine? And we know the answer to this question, of course, don't we? You know why Jesus was forsaken? Jesus was forsaken so that through all eternity, we don't have to be. Jesus was forsaken so that through all eternity, we don't have to be. God has made provision for us to have eternal life. We are sinful people, and we deserve to be punished for our sin. And God, seeing us in that sinful state, decided that he would send his son to take our place, to die on a cross for us so that through faith in him, we could have eternal life. When Jesus was being punished on that tree, he was being punished for our sin. When God the Father poured down upon Jesus his wrath, it was because of the things that I did. And so why did Jesus endure that? He endured that, 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 that his people, 
might spend forever in eternity with him. He was forsaken so that we don't have to be. And the question that each one of us need to ask ourselves this night as we think about the significance of the event of what Jesus did for us is whether or not we have personally entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Where we have come to the place where we have forsaken all other loves and we have turned to him as our only savior. That we have trusted him as the one who has died on the cross for our sin And as we will celebrate on Sunday, who rose again from the dead to give us life. Do you know this Savior? Have you experienced him? You see, the the options that lie before us are heaven and hell. If we turn away from this this offer that God has given us for salvation, then, then we will experience what it means to be forsaken by God for all eternity. But if we turn to him in faith and trust in him, the Bible tells us that that, we, that, that, that that hope that we have in him will not be put to shame. So the question is, is whether or not you have come to him, whether you have trusted him as your Lord and Savior. If you haven't trusted him, I'd like you to, I'd like you to pray with me. There is nothing in life that is more important than to know without a shadow of a doubt whether or not we know him. Let's pray. Oh, Father.